Sports-specific training is a hot topic in high school athletics and strength and conditioning. While there are a million different ways we could try to unpack this broad topic, we decided to hit three sports head-on. Basketball, cross-country, and baseball. While we talk these sports, we cover larger themes surrounding sports-specific training that is worth a listen for any coach or teacher. This is Chalk Talk, presented by Platform. I'm Doug Curtin. Let's go. So on today's episode, we welcome back on Colin Reno and Sam Breslin, both of which field a lot of questions when it comes to sports-specific training at the high school level and what that really means when we're trying to take a unified strength and conditioning approach. So our first question comes from a place where we hear a lot of coaches reaching out to us on, and that is in basketball-specific programs. And Sam, I'll turn this one to you because you've answered it a few times. I have a basketball coach on my staff that's looking for a basketball-specific program, mainly because they want their basketball players to be able to jump higher. Do you have a program for me, or what should I be doing for the summer for my basketball team? It's a good question, Um, and the first thing I would say is if you're a coach looking to uh, unify the athletic department or multiple athletic teams together for training, the, the first thing you want to do is look to uh, include people rather than battle people. So um, instead of explaining why your way is the right way, um, I think, you know, proving that you're also solving the problems that they're looking to solve. So in the example of the vertical, I know I've heard that a lot is, you know, my basketball players really, really want to improve the vertical. Can we add a jump day? Or my basketball, uh, my basketball team wants to do a different program because their, their main goal is, you know, vertical jump. Um, and we can talk specifics about how you improve your vertical jump, but uh, the, the, the basic answer lies in the fact that if you are a program that is, you know, let's say building towards football or soccer or anything else, if you are squatting uh, heavy or you are moving uh, load quickly with something like the clean, that is you improving your vertical jump. And I think Colin can probably speak to that better than I can. But if you are already doing things that solve their problem, explain how what you do will get them where they want to be. Um, so that you don't feel like or they don't feel like you are disabusing them of a notion or uh, coming across as as my way is the right way, your way is wrong. Um, So I think if you have a a, a good program in place, you can speak to how it will solve that same problem. And I think, Colin, it's probably worth you jumping in and talking about how, you know, vertical jump is actually improved or can be to what limited degree it can be. Sure. Yeah. So... The, the vertical is a very interesting one because everyone wants to jump higher. And really, there's, there's three ways to jump higher. You either improve your maximal force output, so the amount of force you can generate through your body into the ground. Uh, you can improve your jumping mechanics, or you can improve your genetics. So those are the three things. So uh, of all of those, believe it or not, your jumping mechanics probably plays the least of the, of the factors. So that leads down to the other two, which is something you can change and something you can't. So just focus on actually strength training is probably your best bet. Um, the, the exercise that you'd be doing for your strength training is no different than the exercises that other athletes would be doing as well. So squatting, heavy loads, bars moving slow, but you're under heavy load, or bar moving fast and you're under a lighter load, 
that would be a clean or a snatch or some variation of Olympic movement. So those two improve your maximum force output, which would equate to a slightly higher jump. So keep in mind that genetics will cap off what you're probably going to be capable of doing in the long run. That doesn't mean you can't improve it, doesn't mean you can't have a slight improvement of your jumps or your jumping mechanics, um, but strength training is the only way to go about that. And it's not gonna be drastically different than other sports. Gotcha, and so some of the pushback though for me would be as a, as a basketball coach playing devil's advocate is I, I just want to see it in the program. Like I want it to be super clear that, you know, my kids know that this is a basketball special program and it's going to make them better basketball players. Like how do I frame that then so that the squat or the clean like you're talking about is almost a basketball specific movement? Go ahead. So say if you, if you have a coach and they go, you know, if I said what specifically are you looking for to improve the vertical? I, I got to strength train and I got to do some Olympic style movements. That's great. And I would go through the program and I would circle all of those for that coach mm -hmm. and say, where would you like to see more of that? Or how would you like that to be different? And a lot of times they go, oh, I, I just didn't see it there. I didn't know that was there. I, I wasn't aware of that. Can we do more plyometrics? And then I would go through and circle all the days that we do plyometrics. To be honest with you, about three days a week of doing plyometrics is about all you need. Sure. Anything more than that is just, you're, you're probably taking away from something else. Um, but I think that is the key is, um, you know, it's, it's easy to look at a program and just see or movements um, kind of, you know, generically. Um, it's a whole nother thing if you can communicate what each of those elements is, is geared towards and what is the result. Sure. Um, because like you said, I think a lot of people mistake you know, the, the specificity of training principle, the said principle with, you know, mimicry of movement. So you don't necessarily jump to get better at your vertical, yeah. right? Yes, plyos is a piece of it, because as Colin mentioned, your, your mechanics are obviously an important point uh, when you're in terms of you know, efficiency of movement and everything else. But if you wanna get better at jumping higher, you have to do other things. And if you can say, okay, coach, you know, let's, let's, let's sit down. This is, this is what I wanna go over is, you know, the beginning of every day, this is where we do our, uh, you know, prehab and activation. And this is going to make sure that you don't have the whatever injuries that you've been dealing with this, mm -hmm. the previous season. And then we're going to work on our power. Uh, and we're going to use either, a, you know, Oli variation or something along those lines like plyometrics. And here's where we're going to build that power uh, for you to be able to jump a little bit higher. And then sure. we're going to follow that up with some strength. And here is where kids are going to build that, that generation of force that's going to actually increase the vertical. And, you know, you can go down the line. And then the more you explain it as it is relevant to them and their athletes um, everybody's willing to jump on board because the, the, the simple fact is you can go to USA Basketball, Poliquin, Stack, any one of those you look up basketball program and guess what it's mobility, strength, power, uh, unilateral work and all it's everything that you would do let's say with a football player it's just if you can explain why it is good for basketball, then it makes a lot more sense. It's a little bit more palatable to people. Yeah, and I think, you know, to your point, you see a lot of those, like, videos of somebody jumping up to, like, the, you know, box that's... Get me started on box yeah. jumps. Super high, and that's, like, the, all right, they're working on their vertical. Um, but really, Colin, you've touched on that. What are they really working on when they're jumping up as high as possible? Not too much. I mean, maybe they're doing a little bit to improve the, the, the elasticity of their Achilles tendon. But for the most part, if you want to improve your vertical, you need to work on driving your hips as high as you possibly can, right? Extending your hips farther. So if you're just jumping on a box and your hips never change height, you're really not getting much out of it. So if I had a coach who, if we're just going to talk about, uh, box jumps, I would have a box that's probably a little bit shorter than he anticipates or the athlete, 
and I would work on triple extension, I would tell that athlete to get his hips as high as possible. Uh, the reason is, is because I don't really care how high you can get your feet. I want your hips to physically get higher. Um, so sure. those are elements that could improve a jumping mechanics. But just keep in mind, I just want to reiterate again, is that the only way to really improve your vertical is through strength training. Uh, it's a great question though, uh, Doug, because I even have my athletes will go see a, a speed trainer or something in the spring. Yeah. And they'll come back and they'll do max effort box jumps yep. three, four, five times a week after the workout that I've prescribed for them. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because, you know, like you said, you know, Instagram and social media, they think that that is, you know, what they should be doing. And they, they believe that same, like, if I keep doing this, I'm just going to become the most explosive athlete, yeah. the highest jumper. I'm sorry, but if you if you jump onto a box and you land with your chest on your knees, you just have great mobility. Sure. Yeah. Right? It hasn't really done anything necessarily for your jump. Yeah, you probably did have to jump pretty high to get up there. But that's not the point. It's not the, how many boxes you can stack. As, as Carl mentioned, how high can your hips get off the ground from where they started? Yeah. Um, which is I, I prefer tuck jumps, frankly, because you, you're not... You're not trying to prove that you can jump on top of a box. I'm like, how high can you get off the ground? Yeah, sure. Huge fan of uh, So, okay, great. And so, um, sticking in the same vein of basketball, uh, and again, it's just a question or a concern on the other end of the spectrum is we have a lot of basketball coaches that will say, I'm worried if we spend too much time in the weight room or we do specific type of things in the weight room that it's going to throw off my, my player's shot. You know, can that happen? Is someone's shot going to be thrown off just based off of you know going in and doing a upper body day or some sort of training? So when I've seen this question asked before, uh, a coach either wants to go right from the weight room to shooting free throws. And they ask me, like, I don't want this to affect their free throws. But the case is always, and we'll talk about this a couple times, is that you know when you're in the weight room, things are going to be sore and tight when you leave. So if you're immediately going to do a skill practice afterward, we should have planned that out better. We should have planned out so the skill becomes before the weightlifting session. Mm. Um, it's not going to negatively affect it over the, over, over the long run, but temporarily, you could be sore, you could be tight, you could be feeling a little off, just like you would if any session. So it's just communicating with the coaches. Uh, I think that they see something like that or that's happened in the past, and they equate that to, oh, it's going to overall affect their, their performance. Well, and I think it's worth adding. I mean, you, you made two really good points. First, it's not gonna, in aggregate, change somebody's shot. Sure. For the negative. It's not right. long term. Right. We're, we're, it, it, you can't, you can't equate what you're doing in the weight room to the, the the fine locomotion and skill of shooting a basketball in such a way that if you do one thing, the other thing suffers uh, immediately, um, or you know directly. I think it's also worth mentioning that if if we're talking that like you, the coach says, you know, we, we came in after a, a somewhat uh, grueling workout in the preseason and we were shooting free throws and we were missing a lot more. Well, you also have to shoot free throws when you aren't in optimal exactly. health condition as an athlete, right? After the first three minutes of the game, you probably feel like that. So, I mean, I'd argue that there are times where it makes sense to be working skill motion under somewhat less than ideal circumstances. Obviously, you want to do them in ideal circumstances to cement, you know, certain movement patterns and connections, etc. But I don't think it's completely, you know, negative. Actually, uh, on that point, real fast, is that uh, good strength coaches will incorporate what you just described, which is obviously the majority of skill work is done during a fresh period of time when you're focused on the drill. But it's also really important to incorporate those skills when you're also very fatigued. So good strength coaches will flip it. So you do your conditioning beforehand, you finish off with fine skill movements when you're fatigued, 
because that's when mistakes occur. That's when we're trying to set you up for a little bit of a failure. We know that you're going to be, this is less than ideal, but we want you to be a little bit more in tune. We want you to be more focused. Think about the finer movements. It, it's just like contrast, right? Right. right? It's the same concept. It, you, you usually do power before strength so that you have the maximal output, but then there are very much reasons to do power movements while under fatigue because... Yeah. You know, strength at high heart rate, skill at high heart rate, those are all things that you can actually train to a degree. Yeah. And it's something that needs to be a part of your program. And again, if that's the biggest issue you're facing as, you know, the, the combination of training and a basketball, uh, you know, schedule, like it's not necessarily the biggest negative. In the and, and to be, to just drive dry this point home a little bit more, if I had a basketball coach sitting with me and he said that he's very concerned about changing or modifying uh, his player's shots based on strength training, what I would argue against that is I would say your athletes are going to get fatigued during the game. At the end of the game or toward the end of the game, the only thing that's going to prevent them from having wildly missed shots is obviously repetition of skill but strength. The ability to maintain their shoulders during a shot, uh, the ability to shoot through somebody in their face, like those are, those are things that can only be accomplished through strength training. Uh, and at, during any sporting event, you'll always notice it toward the end. So, you know, keep that in mind. Sure. Awesome. Well, that's a good breakdown of basketball and some of the things that we hear pretty frequently. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about probably the most frequent question we get in talking about cross country and long distance runners. We have a jam-packed show today, so I'm only taking a quick, quick pause to let you know that platforms on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and are all linked through our podcast blog. Go check out the other ways we share our platform message and hit us up. We're all coaches ourselves and welcome any type of response. Now back to the show. All right, so we're jumping back in here and we're actually going to touch on one that we hear probably most frequently here at Platform and it's one in terms of breaking down different types of distance versus non-distance athletes and we're going to talk about it from a track or cross-country perspective but it exists in sports like mine and swimming and others but it comes from a lot of track coaches asking, I'm nervous about my distance runners bulking up. Do you have a specific program for those kind of longer uh, running athletes. Sure, and it, ha it it's still very pervasive in terms of uh, just the, the common understanding uh, in the industry that many people believe that there is some negative um, or direct correlation to um, basically bodybuilding um, if you strength train at all mm -hmm. and believe that athletes that are uh, generally looking in a way such as the opposite of that type of athlete that they, they're not supposed to weight train. The funny thing is if you Google, should a distance runner, should an endurance athlete weight train, every single answer is yes, 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 yes. The issue is this one of, uh, I always look at it, the, it's the myth of bulking up and the myth of toning, which whatever, I don't know where that started, um, but it's yeah. the issue of like high reps, low weight equals this, low weight... And I think it's very important that when you, you are talking to a coach like that, you, you dive into the actual science behind um, basically weight gain, muscle gain, et cetera. Um, and calling you can speak is far better than I can. But biochemistry, right, yeah. is, is really going to be a large part of um, uh, this equation. So the fear of bulking up is relatively 
unfounded for any athlete. Um, sure, but, and I think we get it with female athletes and with other athletes. Yeah. So, Colin, do you want to speak to that a little bit just in terms of like the science behind it? Yeah, So, but I will say this, that there are some phenomenal strength coaches out there who are working with uh, the, the Ironman athletes. If you look at some of those athletes right now, the first thing you notice is that they're very muscular that there's a trend now to realizing the importance of strength training at the most endurance sports. So if you look at the Ironman, it's just pure endurance. Um, so with that being said, I actually put together a list of everything that would be uh, advantageous for a long distance coach or athlete who's on the fence to hear. Because I think sometimes you need to be overwhelmed and realize that this is actually beneficial. So the first thing is that strength training improves muscle recruitment, coordination, and running economy. It improves neuromuscular coordination, power output, stride frequency, and stride length. It makes tendons, ligaments, joints stronger, stiffer, and more cushioned for impact. So really what that does though, and this is what's really important, is that it improves your force output and improves, improves your running mechanics over time. Uh, the other aspect to this is that runners who lift can handle higher running volumes during a training period. I mean like, it just, all of this is just, I, I hope, convincing people. Um, so you can now train harder with more volume without being injured. Uh, the other aspect to strength training is that it, it, re, it improves your range of motion of a joint more so than just stretching alone. In fact, there's some great evidence out there that heavy loads, full range of motion, improve joints efficiency and range of motion more so than just static stretching or whatever. So just good, good to know. Sure. And then, so just to follow up on that, um, because I think we've talked about it a lot is I hear what you guys are saying, but the thing that I push back on is you said, we're not going to train for, to, to turn them into bodybuilders. So we're going to train them in another way. And so I think as a coach unpacks that they might hear, well, then if we're not going to train them like bodybuilders, then we're not going to train them like sprinters. I want to train them like distance runners. So just, just another piece of science that goes into this is that for, for anyone who's a running coach or a long distance runner themselves, is that if you're putting in miles per week, if you're a distance runner, you are physically almost the point of you're impairing hypertrophy. Long distance running and hypertrophy don't go together. They sort of block each other. So the thing that's weird is that you can improve your strength as a long distance runner, mm -hmm. But during this process, you're impairing your hypertrophy. So the muscle will physically never really get much larger, but it'll get much stronger and much more coordinated during its movements. So okay. it's good to keep that in mind. Uh, it, it's just the way your, your body operates. Right. So uh, when we hear the, I, I'm worried about an athlete bulking up, right? That is what Colin mentioned, the, the concept of hypertrophy, like actual size gain. Mm -hmm. And it requires a whole lot of very specific elements. The, the first being, um, as Colin mentioned, you know, your nutrition, you have to be in a caloric surplus at a certain amount for a certain given amount of time. And as he mentioned, if you're an endurance athlete, if you're out there practicing for a cross country, you are not going to be uh, set up necessarily unless you are eating an absolute crap ton with exact, you know, macro counts to build a lot of muscle. Sure. Um, secondly, I think this one gets missed a lot is I think what people think of as bulking up is a bit different than even what is realistically possible, right? You are to a degree who you are, as Colin mentioned with genetics, with jumping, like not completely dissimilar with the whole size thing. When somebody, like a football coach goes, I really want all of my athletes to get huge this summer because I want big linemen. 
you either have big linemen or you don't, mm-hmm. right? I can't turn your wide receiver into your lineman. I also can't turn, um, you know, the, the 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 more slender athlete that's a very gifted endurance runner that's putting in mileage. I can't turn him into a, a bodybuilder like you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sure. Bodybuilder, when we're talking about it, it's just like if that's your goal, like we can increase somebody's hypertrophy over something else. But yeah. It's only to a certain degree, right? Should, you are who you are. I right? should state with with that being said, what I said before is that. Uh, long distance running impairs hypertrophy. There's also a correlation because people who are drawn to long distance running have more type one fibers. Type one fibers, if you're not familiar, type one, type two, there's a couple more, but we'll just talk about type one, type two for simplicity's sake. Type one fibers are very reluctant for hypertrophy. Okay, so the when when you cause damage for them to repair, they don't, know, they don't necessarily want to get larger in size. Um, it's just the way that, that works. And people who are drawn to distance sports also have more high, uh, type one fibers, which do not love hypertrophy. So also long distance running and the mechanics involved in aerobic training really impairs hypertrophy. So once again, like all those things being said, you, you re- and we're not training to be bodybuilders, you are at the end of the day, you're not going to get physically larger. You're just going to get stronger. And I just want to reiterate a couple more times that the difference between an Olympic runner and an amateur runner is stride length and stride frequency. Okay? and mechanic breakdown. Like Those are two huge factors that separate people who are pretty good versus people who are elite. So the only way to get there is to reduce imbalances through strength training. The only way you can reduce imbalances through your body, which are going to occur, is through strength training. You can't do it through anything else. You have to improve your stride frequency and economy, which are pretty much only done through strength training. The other thing, too, is that there's a direct correlation between your between strength training, your, improving your VO2 max, strength training and improving your lactic threshold. So any long distance person who's really into it would know what those are and know like, wow, there's a direct correlation between if I started a strength training program and concluded it with a improvement in my VO2 max, which is an aerobic test. So if you, you know, if you still need more evidence, please, as Sam just said, go, go to Google, type in, should a distance runner perform strength training? Well, and I think a really good juxtaposition is that is you, you can, I mean, I, I love that there's a Pollock article from like a decade ago that's like the, the top 10 reasons why a, a runner should strength train and it lists everything that Colin just mentioned. It's going to make you better at all the things that matter for, for distance running. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think it is far more important to just remember who we're talking about. We're not talking about the elite endurance athletes of the world. Yeah. Talk about high school kids, freshmen in high school. They aren't a cross-country runner. They yeah. might do cross-country, but they're not an endurance athlete. Yep. Um, one, the level of distance that kids run in high school is not endurance to the point that we're talking about. Two, they're high school kids. I think it is far more important to somebody to leave high school with a well-rounded physical education and development so that they haven't just done nothing but mileage running for four years with no strength training. So they're just set up for all of those overuse injuries and other issues that might go along with it. And they probably play other sports, by the way. They're not specialists. They need a complete education. And by the way, that complete education will also benefit their running. So I think putting both of those things together, you can you can convince most anybody that like, hey, what we're doing here is going to benefit your athletes when they come to you for track, but we're also going to benefit every other sport and just the kid himself or herself when they leave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's take another quick pause. And when we come back, we're going to transition over to the next kind of most frequent question in terms of baseball. 
Hey everyone, if you like that brief talk on cross-country runners, I encourage you to go check out our blog, where we have linked an article by Sam Breslin. Sam wrote on three common myths of training track athletes. Takes a deeper dive into what we were talking about today and is a really great read. Now back to the show. All right, and this is probably going to be our last one of the episode, but we're going to talk about baseball. So we have a ton of baseball coaches that will want to avoid benching or really a lot of different movements that are in the kind of same vein of pressing. So what should a baseball player be doing when it comes to weight room training, especially when it comes to that kind of pressing and upper body type movements? Sure. And uh, I'm going to turn this to Gong because this is, this is a special area for him. He yeah, loves this, he loves I this area. So. But I, I think um, I'm going to start by just saying, let, let's reiterate one more time that um, I know everybody is interested in improving um, basically their their version of the athlete that is, is showing up to them for, say, baseball season or football season. But just remembering that that person exists outside of your scope and then more importantly um, exists with very little foundation of any kind so when you make decisions for I want to make the best baseball player remember who you're dealing with you're not dealing with an experienced athlete that's coming to you and you have to and you're they're playing baseball for an entire year at the professional level and you have to you know mitigate certain injury risks or you know deal with certain things etc for their livelihood it's we're trying to make somebody that's going to leave high school healthy so avoiding things entirely like pressing bad idea right so um when we all know that we wouldn't say that somebody's going to spend four years and pull only never press because that's just a guaranteed way to end up with some sort of injury. Um, but I think that's an important point for most coaches, including myself to remember is like when I go into football season or they're, they're only with me for three months, mm-hmm. right? The, the bulk of their year is without me. So just remembering who we're dealing with. But I think when it comes to baseball, um, the whole overhead athlete, throwing athlete, um, the bench, uh, they're, you know, some people hate the bench. Some people love the bench right in the middle of that like you know but I think it's important to kind of address all of those things so that people don't feel like they're sacrificing uh, or risking certain things by performing movements like mm-hmm. that so yeah I think Sam just crushed it and this is I'll go into more some other myths I've heard within baseball but it is important to reiterate that if you you, you this athlete played football this athlete then played basketball and now they're possibly playing baseball with you so think about it they've been overhead pressing they've been doing a lot of different movements they come to you and now you're going to immediately stop that uh, so you could see right away that that would probably set them up for some sort of injury toward the end of the season. So it's important to, you know, as Sam just reiterated, you have a small window with them uh, to automatically just stop doing something for, for whatever reason that you believe in uh, is sometimes setting students up for, for injury later down the road. So within the baseball realm of things, the things that I've heard from coaches, um, I think a lot of the myths are from seeing what pitchers do at the highest level and then drawing that down to every baseball player at every high school. Right, so like I see, you know, you see the the MLB warmups, and they got the bands, and they got the shaker yes. weights, and those are the different types of things that I see there. Yeah, and it feels like it starts to trickle down. So that's before I get into this too. It is very important to, and I'll say this one more time: is that what is done at the very elite level of the most the pinnacle of the sport is not something that gets done at the high school level, and is sometimes not even done at the college level. Actually, it's just not. So, you know, keep that in mind when you're working with athletes and when you're programming, when you're thinking of exercises, is that just because you see it at the very elite level doesn't mean it trickles down to a 16-year-old who's just in the weight room for the first time or is brand new to a weight room and still learning movements. So uh, 
it's just a good, good rule of thumb is that you shouldn't be very specific when they're like barely understanding the weight room, barely underneath the, you know, their form is still shaky, like get general and then go specific. Um, but with that being said, so some of the things that I've heard from coaches as far as baseball is that you can't bench or do anything overhead because it'll cause their pecs, their, their, their chest muscles to become really tight and limit their range of motion, uh, which when you limit the range of motion of the shoulders, sometimes the humeral head will roll forward into like an anterior position. Uh, look, kind of similar to what we talked about earlier with, with basketball is that any lifting will cause soreness, anything. Uh, for example, if you deadlift, if I deadlifted right now, I would reduce my trunk rotation. I'd cause hip tightness and weak, uh, temporary soreness. I'd reduce the oblique sling, which is used in throwing. I'd reduce my thoracic mobility as well. I'd cause tightness in my lats, mid traps, rhomboids, all which control the ball when you're throwing. So if I just told you all that from a deadlift, but the deadlift isn't as nearly as minimized as, as just the benches. So it comes down to planning speaking with your athletes, connecting with everyone, making sure everyone's on the same page. I would not recommend heavy benching, walking out to the field and doing two hours of throwing. Sure. So it's just like, you could see already that there's some, there's some holes in, there, in the perspective of, uh, you know, benching causes this. So anything can be negative if done improperly. It, just think of every joint you have. It moves in multiple directions and it's pulled in different directions. If one side can pull far stronger than the other, I mean, this we're talking super simple version of it, but like yeah. if you if you only do one side of the equation, it becomes imbalanced and then you are just asking for something to go wrong down the road. Um, and it, it's, it's as Colin mentioned, it's, it's about consistency. Um, you don't want to just spend your season with injury prevention Right, you want to actually promote, um, you know, consistent improvement throughout the year. So to say we're just no longer going to either strength train or no longer going to press or no, mm -hmm. then you're just kind of you're going backwards. Um, and I think it's important to note again, also as you said, with it's we're not looking at MLB, you know, pitchers during their season at 30 years old. Uh, we're looking at high school kids that are playing baseball for two months. Sure. So I guess the pushback, and it's the pushback that I get all the time, um, is that but my baseball player's arms are sore. So And, and so what do we do? Because I don't want to keep doing that, and I don't want to replicate in the weight room if they already have a ton of it on the field. Uh, well, so I, I think the answer to that is your final statement. The coach, the baseball coach, the athlete, the athletic coach, whatever sport you're in, baseball specifically right now, you are in charge of what they do 90% of the time. The 10% they spend in the weight room is not going to be the thing that by week five is why they have sore arms. Mm -hmm. It's because they've thrown two hours a day for five days a week or they're pitching three games a week. I mean, you, that's another thing you can Google and it's... Baseball, early specialization, and pitching is one of those things like in the youth sport world that has just kind of exploded, mm -hmm. and kids are getting hurt because they are asked, being asked to throw way more than they should. Yeah. There's actually a syndrome called Little League Syndrome, or Little League Elbow, I should call it, that for the last, let's call it 30 years, never existed because kids are so specialized, in baseball particularly, that it causes these issues. But what Sam just described, which is connecting, so if your, if your student's shoulders are sore, for whatever reason, uh, you're right. They, they probably shouldn't be doing extra shoulder work at that point. There needs to be a cycle of less volume, more volume. And baseball throwing is still volume. Uh, so keep that in mind. As that, and Sam described is the, the, the 10 to 20 minutes you spend in the weight room during the season is not going to push them over the edge unless they're already there. 
And if anything, you're actually working to fight against that soreness that's coming because you were prepared for that that volume, but you yeah. need to manage the volume on the field, on the diamond. Sure. Um, because that is the biggest contributor to any of those soreness items rather than your, your, your 20 minutes that might include five minutes of pressing. Sure. And I think we always will go back to it in other episodes and other things that we talk about is we think about, you know, replicating, replicating, replicating. And like you talked about earlier in this episode, Sam, that mimicry is that we want to mimic that baseball throw all the time as baseball coaches and players. And then it's like, well, we could maybe draw that back a little bit, do some strength training and actually decrease that soreness, decrease that injury and just increase your output on the field when you are playing. So Doug just brought up a really great point, and I, I have seen this at every level in, in every capacity, is that you, you need to view the weight room differently than what you do on the field. So don't replicate what you do on the field in the weight room. Separate the two. We're just focused on strength training. It, and it's not supposed to mimic what you're doing on the field. The coach is supposed to do what you're doing on the field. The strength coach, the, the P instructor, they're supposed to mimic or, or cause uh, strength and reduce weaknesses in the weight room that are not what you're already doing on the field. Mm -hmm. So if you're already doing shoulder swinging exercises or whatever you think you're doing on the field, then they should not be replicated once again within the weight room. Right. You don't want to overdo it. Sure. Which is the, the entire point. Great. All right. Well, that is going to do it. We're going to come back for one last quick segment, so sit tight. Before jumping into our final segment, I just wanted to take a quick pause and thank you all for listening. We view these conversations as a place to explore what we hear being talked about with coaches and teachers every day. We encourage you all to jump into the conversation yourself. Hit us up. Again, my name's Doug Curtin, and I'm itching for more topics to explore with Sam, Colin, and all the other guests that we bring onto the show. If you have something you want to talk about, we'd love to break it down. Now let's jump back into our final segment. All right, so we're going to wrap up here, but we're going to close out with a little bit of uh, me being the devil's advocate. And we talked about it, and pretty much every single example that we talked about today is that you know, you're not that elite level athlete. You're not the baseball player. You're not the Olympic marathon runner. But as coaches and as a coach myself, I use those people as my examples of hard work, of dedication, of ways that we want to strive to be like them. So then... I think a lot of athletes then say, well, I want to do what they're doing for strength training. I want to do what they're doing in the weight room. And I think coaches think the same way. So where's that separation then created so that we're not training like them or we're not thinking like we have to do exactly what they're doing? Well, the first reminder would be to explain the difference between social media and reality. Um, what they're seeing isn't a great representation of what you know, elite athletes do on a regular basis. Um, Connell, I'll tell you, like the difference between um, even novice, let's call it novice athletes, novice lifters, and the elite isn't as, as big as you think. No, it's probably more similar than you realize. I would simply say that what Sam just mentioned is that just because they put on some sexy video then doing something very unusual, uh, it, it doesn't mean that either one, you should be doing it, or two, that's what they only do, or three, that's a big part of their program to begin with. You know, so... Just always have that in the back of your mind and that strength training is strength training. It hasn't changed much in the last 30 years and it's still the most effective way to get an advantage. And that's where I think coaches are starting to go, I want a competitive advantage over everyone else. And therefore, I'm going to specialize in my sport or have my students or my son, my daughter specialize in their sport all year round. 
what we're seeing from research that has been pretty documented at this point, there's almost no debate, is that the more you specialize early on, or the younger you specialize early on, uh, the, the greater chance for injury, for burnout, for uh, dis dissatisfaction and disapproval of the sport, uh, it just grows every single year. And you can always shift it to um, the same thing that we do in other elements of our coaching is we're setting a very lofty goal, mm -hmm. but we're starting at the bottom. And any good, successful journey begins with solid foundational steps. Yep. And you're not going to build a house on a foundation of sand. Yep. So if you want to become Tom Brady, you got to start at the bottom. You're not going to do what Tom Brady does for footwork now. Mm -hmm. Right, you're gonna learn how to throw or run or work in the gym. Period. Right, like those are the things that we would say. Like, hey, you know, the journey of a you know a thousand miles starts with the one step. Whatever you want to say is, we got to start at the bottom because it's the single most important element of the entire journey. Um, and so, you know, one. Forget what you see in social media because as Colin said, it's highly unlikely that what anybody posts is a kind of pillar of their, mm -hmm. their training. It's whatever is sexiest or cool. Or by the way, a lot of it's sarcastic and yeah. funny, but people take it as serious. Um, and yeah, how many of your kids freaking post uh, their, their five by five squats? Not many, right? Mm -hmm. But they'll post their box jump because it's cool to see. Um, so remind them that what they see isn't necessarily what the training looks like. And two, they have to start at a different place, right? They're not they're not at that level yet. And it, to get to that level, you got to start somewhere. Sure. Awesome. Well, that is a good place to wrap up. Thanks again for listening. We had Sam Breslin and Colin Reno on today. If you guys liked what you heard or you have coaches or teachers that are sharing the same sentiments and you want some backup or reinforcement to share with them, point them to this podcast or reach out to us. Colin's always got the science and research to back it up and Sam is always talking with different coaches and teachers to give his experiences as a high school coach. So Sam, Colin, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll talk to you guys next time. And remember, at Platform, it's always in the pursuit of better.